I invite you all now to open your Bibles in the book of the prophet Obadiah. We'll be finishing our very, very brief sermon series on this prophecy. Obadiah, only the first chapter. We will read from verse 10, but that being part of something that we already saw last week, sermon tonight focuses on verses 15 to 21, but we will read from verse 10 for some context. Obadiah, the book of the prophet Obadiah, from verse 10. Thus says the Lord, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shapala shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess... Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephtah, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. We got too many gangsters doing dirty deeds, too much corruption and crime in the streets. It's time the long arm of the law put a few more in the ground, send them all to their maker, and he'll set them down. You can bet he'll sell them down. When I left Brazil to come study here at Westminster, The last thing that I thought I would find was a Scottish professor of Old Testament theology 
suggesting, suggesting I should listen to country music. Nevertheless, when I checked the grade for my exegetical paper on the book of Obadiah for the Theology of the Prophets class, a note from Dr. Ian Duggan read, quote, very good, see Toby Keith and Willie Nelson's beer for my horses. So I did, and now so did you, as I just read the opening verses of Sad Country Song. Wasn't Dr. Duguid's right? Isn't this an excellent summary of the message of Obadiah? These verses from Keith and Nelson summarize what we saw last time we were in Obadiah. The people of Edom, the enemies of Israel, did some dirty deed, and God promised through his prophet that you bet he'll set them down. We saw that God would punish the prideful Edom and that apart from Christ, we are all prideful Edomites doomed to be humbled. However, if you already trust in Jesus and are now safe on God's mountain because of his sacrifice in your place, this does not solve the problem of evil and injustice in the world, does it? Wicked men and evildoers are still on the run, and we still wonder, as we said last week, where is the God of justice? Should we go out then and exact revenge, taking matters into our own hands? That is why Keith and Nelson suggest if we keep reading their poetry. Quote, Grandpappy told my pappy, back in my day, son, a man had to answer for the wicked that he done. Take all the rope in Texas, find a tall oak tree, round up all them bad boys, hang them high in the street for all the people to see. Tonight, as I said, we conclude our very brief series on the shortest book of the Old Testament. Tonight, we will see that Obadiah has something to say to Toby Keith, to Willie Nelson, to you, and to me. The old prophet concludes his judgment oracle and speaks about punishment, repaying what has been done, and to the surprise of his hearers, hearers a glimmer of hope. Surprise because after all that Edom has done to Israel, after all that Israel has suffered, after all that we have been through, is there hope in this violent world? Or will we keep living on this cycle of violence and vengeance so commonly described in so many country songs? As we read the last verses of Obadiah, the Spirit of God tells us this night that God's mercy is just and that God's justice is merciful. This is why we have to see in the text tonight, as simple as that, and we will investigate these two sentences. God's mercy is just and God's justice is merciful. We will see these two promises concerning the character of our, of our God in two points. So first... God's mercy is just. First, a quick review. 
The book of Obadiah is the record of a vision against Edom. Edom was a nation that lived on the hill country of Mount Seir to the south of Israel. They were the descendants of Esau, Jacob's twin brother, and the enmity, enmity between these two men grew and became enmity, enmity, sorry, enmity between two peoples, Israel and Edom. And then the rival reached its lowest point when the Babylonians came and ravaged Israel, as we saw last week. The Edomites laughed at their brother, they gloated from afar, and then they helped in the massacre, as we read in verses 10 to 14. And then we saw that this enmity is nothing short of the history of all humanity. The enmity between the seed of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. We talked last week about how we are all Edomites by nature, in the sense that we are all born enemies of God. Our Edomite pride and sin led, to, led Jesus to the cross to pay for our debts and transport us from Mount Seir to Mount Zion, the holy presence of God. In all of that, we saw the fundamental truth that God will not let sin go unpunished in this world. He will destroy his enemies. But those who cling to Jesus are counted as friends because he took upon himself the punishment for their sins. Either way, no sin will go unpunished. And then we come to the first verse of our portion for tonight. Verse 15 provides a hinge that holds the two parts of Obadiah. Let's read that verse again. For the, lay, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return, return on your own head. Obadiah reassures us that Edom's punishment will be proportional to their wickedness. Yet, as we read in verse 15, you should notice that he's not talking just about Edom anymore. He says that the Lord will come to judge all nations. Edom, as we, as we said last week, is a representation of all nations and peoples in every place that throughout history have risen up against the knowledge of God, to use Paul's language. And now, God makes it clear to all nations then, your day is coming, because my day is coming. The day of the Lord, the day of retribution, in a clear contrast with the many mentions of Israel's day of calamity in the previous section. And then in verse 16, something interesting happens that is not very clear in the first reading. Obadiah mentions uh, you that drank something on his holy mountain and all nations shall drink it too. The difficulty here comes from the fact that no one would take the ESV seriously if they had properly translated this you of verse 16 as y'all. What I mean is, in the first 16, 15 verses of Obadiah, he talks directly to Edom using the second person, singular. 
And then in verse 16, he uses the plural, indicating that he's talking now to a different audience. So who is this plural you that he's talking to now? It is not Edom, because he talked about them before. And it is not also the nations, because he mentions them right after in the, in the, uh, in the verse. So the only possible explanation is that God is now talking to Israel, to his own people. And when you realize that, that this is the you that God is referring to, this image of drinking becomes a little bit clearer. Have you ever heard of the biblical language of drinking the cup or even drinking the cup of wrath? This is usually shorthand for receiving judgment from God. But now there's more questions than answers. Why would God say that his people drank the cup of his wrath? You should remember, as bad as Edom was when the Babylonians came, they only came because Israel was also terribly evil. Without sealing too much thunder of Pastor Larry's sermons on the book of Kings, that is precisely the point of those books that we have been studying in our morning services. The people of God have been so wicked that God sent the Babylonians to carry them into exile. So when they came, Israel was drinking God's cup of wrath. Still, Obadiah tells us, those who helped the Babylonians and did not help their brothers will also drink from God's anger. That's what he's saying here on verse 16. The point is, there is a day coming, the day of the Lord, when all nations who have risen against him will drink from the cup of his wrath. They will drink so much of it that they'll become drunk of wrath. They will be so judged that it will be as if they never existed. And this should be news of great hope for God's people. Why? Let me tell you a story. Just a couple of days ago, a close friend from school told other friends and me that her credit card had been cloned. There was a charge both above her limit and way above what she could afford from her bank account. Again, I'm talking about seminary students. I imagine the amount was something like 15 bucks. But anyway, <laughs> as we discussed the situation, this group of friends, she said she wished those who did this to her would step on dog's poop every day for the rest of their lives. Someone else from the group, who shall remain anonymous, added that he hoped they would do it with bare feet. I'm not comparing God's wrath with stepping on a dog's poop. But this image and this situation, I believe, speaks of our all-too-frequent desire to, as I said earlier in the language of the poets, Round up all them bad boys. Hang them high in the street for all people to see. And it wouldn't it be comfort to my friend if those who tried to steal from her were punished for the wickedness? Wouldn't that be the right thing to, to happen? 
Wouldn't it be comforting to all of us if we could trust that in this world, those who harm others will have their due? Isn't that a comforting thought? Brothers and sisters, Obadiah is now promising all of you that there will be no rest for the wicked on the coming day of the Lord. And then we contrast that with verses 17 and 18 when Obadiah speaks of some people escaping and finding refuge on Mount Zion. There, the people of God shall find shelter from this overflowing cup of wrath. They will possess what Edom has accumulated. He speaks of the house of Jacob and the house of Joseph, representing both kingdoms of Judah and Israel after the split. Two houses, the house of God, together again. And they shall consume Edom. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. We read in verse 18. Again, this should be great news of great comfort. Because we have been talking in this last two sermons about evil running wild. And that is a reality that you don't need illustrations for. You are well too accustomed to that. I'm sure every single person in this room at some point in their lives, was wronged by, by someone who did not pay for it. Maybe it was a sibling who broke something at home and somehow your parents found you guilty. Maybe someone cloned your credit card and you never got to prove that it was not you who made all those online purchases. Maybe someone offended you verbally or even attacked you physically. And you were simply not strong enough to fight back, even if you wanted to. To all of you, Obadiah is saying tonight, the day of the Lord is coming. Divine justice is not always as swift as we desire sometimes but it is sure. One poet once said, the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind grind exceedingly small. As God's people have drunk, have drank from the bitter cup of violence and humiliation, all their enemies will drink from it until they cannot take it anymore, and then they will drink some more. They will see their maker, again in the words of the poets, and he will definitely settle them down. And this is why I said in the beginning of this point that God's mercy is just. It is mercy because he promises a way for those those wronged to find refuge in him, yet it is just because he is definitely keeping tabs when it feels like the wicked are prospering and his coffers seem to have an endless supply of get-out-of-jail-free cards, remember the day of the Lord is coming. On that day, he will ensure all his enemies have their due. Vengeance is mine, 
he says in Deuteronomy. And the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. That was the first thing we needed to see. The second one is God's, juris, God's justice is merciful. God's justice is merciful. When we come to verses 19 and 20, I must admit there is much I don't know precisely what it means. And it should be striking, striking to all of us that most commentators agree on this. And whenever most commentators agree in something, it should be noteworthy because they often don't. We have no idea who the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad are, for example. But the little we know about these names and names of places is already fantastic. In these two verses, God promises that his people will go to all corners of the earth to possess the surrounding nations. While some of these locations from where they come from are unknown, we are told they will possess the lands to the north, the south, the east, and the west of Israel. Moab, the Philistines, the Negev. The point here is that on the day of the Lord, Mount Zion will spread. It will spread out from the house of Jacob and Joseph. They will go in all directions, conquering lands that belong to their enemies until there is only one kingdom left, the kingdom of the Lord, as the last words of Obadiah say. But you want to hear something even more fantastic than that? I'll give you a head. It has something to do again with singulars and plurals. Have you noticed on verse 21 that it speaks of saviors in the plural going up Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau? Even if this whole thing so sounded very obscure and you had very little knowledge of what's happening here, if you read, a savior will go up on Mount Zion, you're like, I know who he's talking about. But what about saviors? Is Obadiah saying that there's more than one way to God? Of course not. Look at it this way. We learn from Jesus himself that his suffering at the cross was the ultimate drinking of God's cup of wrath. When he died on that cross, he drank the ultimate cup his people deserved, so they would not have to drink it themselves. So if you are a believer, that is, if you have put your faith in Christ as your Savior, and you trust in His merits to earn God's favor, not yours, you have been brought from Mount, Mount, you have been brought from Mount Esau to Mount Zion. So that means for our context here, Mount Esau is weakened every time someone believes the gospel. And Mount Zion grows stronger. Do you see what that means? With that in mind, do you see what that means in verse 18 when we discuss about these two houses consuming Edom? Yes, 
in a sense, historically, Edom as a nation has been long destroyed. Now you can even do tourism on their abandoned rocky mountains. They had their due. But it never came from the hands of Israel. Why then are those two houses being the ones who will consume them? While some of these promises, yes, have already been fulfilled, Obadiah is speaking of something that will take all of history to be fully fulfilled. In our time now, whenever a sinner is saved, his former Edomite dies with Christ at the cross, and he comes back to new life with Jesus in Mount Zion. That, finally, is why, in verse 20, Obadiah says that saviors will come up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. He's talking about you and me. Between the two comings of Christ, God sent his people out of Jerusalem, as they were there at the beginning of Acts 1, as we saw last week. And then they go from Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world, ransacking the kingdom of Edom by preaching the gospel and bringing more and more people to Mount Zion. This is why we can say that God's justice is merciful. Because as we read in Psalm 86, for example, He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Friends, until Christ returns to finally set everything straight, he has given a chance for his enemies to come to Mount Zion. Just like he did to you if you're already trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is merciful justice because my second certainty that I have about every single one of you here tonight, I am sure every single person in this room at some point in their lives wronged someone and did not pay for it. Whether you're a Christian or not, I'm sure of it. Maybe as a baby, you cried not because you were hurt or hungry, but because you just wanted to manipulate your parents and grab their attention. I've recently come to know that they do that. (laughs) Maybe as a teenager, you said something mean about someone and you used the everyone was doing it card. Perhaps as an adult, you did not file every single penny of income when filing your taxes, and, well, you used the everyone was doing it card. A mean word, a mean glare, a mean thought. The mere idea of hating someone in your head is already violence against them and against God, as Jesus told us in his Sermon of the Mount. The mills of God grind slowly, and tonight you realize that there is still a lot of Edom in your own heart and in your own hands before he finishes 
his grinding. Yet, he has given you time. He has in one way or another sent saviors from Mount Zion to tell you the good news of Jesus, the one who drank the cup of wrath that had your name on it. God sent saviors from Jerusalem to all four corners of the earth to undermine the kingdom of Esau. The gospel they preach burns our spiritual Edomiteness and leads us to find refuge at Mount Zion. That is great mercy. In him, as we saw last time, we find rest from our pride that makes us trust in ourselves for our salvation because he's the glorious Messiah who humbled himself for our sakes so that we would share on his glory in his resurrection. Then in him, as we have seen today, we find rest from trying to execute justice with our own hands because he will do it. We find rest even from trying to understand why the wicked seem to prosper in this world because he promises he will punish every last evil deed when he comes in judgment. In him, we find rest. And then finally, when all is said and all is done, the kingdom will be all his. Then, finally, one last time in the words of Keith and Nelson, when the gun smoke settles, we'll sing a victory tune, and we all meet back at the local saloon. We will raise up our glasses against the evil forces, singing, whiskey for my men and beer for my horses. I don't know if there will be whiskey or saloons in New Jerusalem, or even if horses like beer. But I know that the Son of Righteousness shall rise, as another prophet describes when speaking of the day of the Lord. And when the day of the Son of Righteousness, righteousness comes, we will feast with him, and we will be forever with him. The holy, just, and merciful God and we will celebrate with him the end of all evil and the end of all of our tears. So come to Jesus, all you Edomites, and he will give you rest. Come. Let us pray. Fairest Lord Jesus, you know exactly how it feels to receive undeserved evil. You were mocked and beaten for us. When sinful men revive you, you were silent like a sheep before its slaughter. When people curse you, you spoke words of forgiveness and blessing in return. Thank you for leaving the life of unmatched goodness that we should have lived and for taking our place under the curse that our sin merits. Forgive us for failing daily to live in a manner worthy of you, and we plead, renew your mercies, for you are merciful. 
In your name we pray. And together we all say, Amen.